Hello, and welcome to Heidi's Lemonade Stand, where we talk to real people who have overcome real challenges and are making our world better because of it. They have taken life's lemons and are making lemonade. Thank you for joining me. Hi, Julie. Welcome to Heidi's Lemonade Stand. I can't wait to get to know you. So start out by telling me a couple of things about yourself. Well, thank you for having me. Yeah, so I'm Julie Lee. And the thing that comes to mind first uh, is I have two kids. I have an eight-year-old boy named Sam and a seven-year-old little girl named Lydia. And they're so fun. So my life involves a lot of Pokemon and dragons. My little girl's obsessed with dragons. So that's what we do over here. So much of that. And I also love to play sports. I love to play pickleball and volleyball and just be outside, play sports with my kids. That that gives us a lot of energy and happiness. I love puzzles. That's kind of an old lady thing about me. I love that. <laughs> I'm, I'm like, I've I've had multiple people through my life since I was a kid tell me that I was an old soul. And so that fits really well with that. I love just like jigsaw puzzles. Um, it's awesome. It's, best. So, uh, yeah, that's a couple of fun things about us. Pokemon, dragons, and puzzles. That's oh my our, goodness. Our MO. <laughs> I love that. I'm relating so much because my grandkids are like that. I have a six-year-old grandkid, totally Pokemon and dragons. I had to make a dragon birthday cake last year. And so I, I totally get what you're saying about that. And I am a puzzle lover too. I put one out at Christmas time and I give myself a month, you know, the month of December to put put together a jigsaw puzzle. I love it. So this okay, is so fun. How many, how many pieces of a puzzle do you do though? You might be kind of big time compared to me. Oh, I don't know. Just thousand, fifteen hundred, like, you know, nothing, nothing That's too hard. Good. I don't usually go over a thousand. Five hundred is actually my favorite. <laughs> That's easier. I like that. If I did that, I would have it sitting out all there. the time. I can do by myself in like right. an hour, you know, right. Right. And I yeah. feel successful and productive. And right. <laughs> Oh, that's fun though. I even get the dollar store ones that are like 50 piece ones and I do those with my grandkids really quick. So I love that. That's awesome. Well, it's great to meet you. So you got to take me back and tell me, you got to tell me more, tell me your lemon to lemonade story. What happened to you and what are you doing now? Yeah, thank you. And thank you for this opportunity. It's such an honor to share, you know, stuff that's so special to us. What's kind of brought us to the place we are. So I grew up in a home uh, where I had a parent with mental illness, which is um, something we're getting more and more open about, which is really cool these days. So needed. At the time, it wasn't something uh, our culture was quite as open about. And so there was just a lot of shame around it uh, for me and my family. And it was very secretive. And it was something that I just had to process as a kid, different things that I understood and saw and When I left my home at 18, I was terribly loyal to my family. There was no issue with not being bonded to them or or angry or anything like that. But I was definitely very excited to kind of start a new life where I wouldn't have to uh, talk about those things. You know, like I didn't want to even hear the words anxiety, depression, suicide. I didn't want to hear those things again. Panic attack. I didn't I didn't even know if other kids knew what those meant. Right. And when I was 21, I experienced my first panic attack. And so having the small sample pool that I did 
I didn't know other people that struggled that time. We just weren't talking about it. It, it made me believe my life was over. It just felt like that's it. I'm done. And I was actually married, uh, at the time and just felt like this was not what he signed up for. Right. We didn't have kids yet. We were struggling with infertility and I just didn't see how I could possibly be a wife and a mother. Uh, I felt just completely incapable of even tying my own shoes. It's almost like the anxiety of being anything like what I watched growing up made the anxiety worse as you can imagine. That's what it became about. It was like the initial anxiety was, was pretty situational that created the panic attack. But from there, it was just a spiral of that. I had it at all. So for the next five and a half to six years, I was on and off meds in and out of different kinds of therapy, just trying to run from this thing. You know, I'm pretty like positive, outgoing, driven person. I've always been that way. And I remember just even an ignorant comment I made in high school. I remember saying to my friends, if I ever felt depressed, I would force myself not to be depressed. Like I I would never be like that. And so with that kind of mentality, that's what I did. I, I forced, man. I Googled lists of what to do, of how to not be depressed, of how to not be anxious. I read books. I mean, the amount of books I have on combating anxiety, all the holistic approaches. I ordered oils. Like literally I would go through these lists and it'd be like, pick up an instrument, do all that. And I'm like, okay. And I'd get the guitar and I'm going to learn songs. And, and you and I will know those, th- those resources are helpful to a point, but I wanted them to make this go away. Yeah. I didn't even want a susceptibility for it. I wanted to forget this ever even happened in me because surely I, with my driven, bubbly, positive outlook on life was incapable of of having this struggle after having a lot of professional help and my own kind of conversations with deity I'd say and and leaning into lots of resources that I realized that this was going to be a susceptibility I probably always had towards anxiety which then unchecked would spiral into the the hard depression and so when I was 27, I committed that I would probably never, ever get off meds for the rest of my life. You know, you just look at, at this point, I have two little kids. They got big blue eyes like me. And I just, I just, things change once you have kids. And I just stared at them while having like self-harm thoughts going on in my head. And I'm talking to them in this happy way. And I just remember so clearly that, that I would never, ever say out loud to them what I was thinking about me and call it truth. Right. Right. Absolutely. And having so many of these moments where they were greater motivation to change as was, as was my husband at the time and, and realizing that taking medication was not a bad gig to be able to be calm, to be able to feel joy for my kids. And as I did that, as I accepted, okay, I'm kind of susceptible to this stuff. Okay. And I think as my sample pool grow, grew of people that were really successful and in general happy in life, who are not suicidal, who uh, did not have some of the issues I watched growing up, seeing that mental health, there is such a spectrum. Seeing that and having other people that were willing to sit with me when I was just a mess, 
and being willing to say, hey, I know a little bit about where you're coming from. People that chose to see me, to to witness me in the really hard, to lean in even when it's uncomfortable. It saved my life multiple times and it, it changed me. It changed my perspective on life. And I then, as I accepted this as a susceptibility I had and, and was okay with maybe always doing therapy and seeing how happy it made me to just check in here and there with the therapist, I then felt really compelled and called to start my podcast at the time, which was called ICU. Uh, ICU, a podcast where we advocate that compassion and connection save lives. And that then turned into a book contract called ICU. And then that turned into professional speaking, which is what I, what I, how I support my family now as a single mom, you know, as I'm a speaker and I love what I do. You know, I used to be, I was a second grade teacher for a couple years and that was really fun. And then I became a speaker and my audience is adults in general. And I had no idea how much I could love my career. I had no idea how much less drained I'd be because I'm just where I thrive and where I'm on fire and where I feel like I'm making a really genuine impact. And everybody wants to feel that. Everybody wants to feel like their life has purpose, especially things that have been so sacred and challenging and hard fought to be able to use that and have someone explain to you how it's helping them right now in real time as they go implement it in their workplace or implement it in their home. It's just an incredible blessing and honor that I feel lucky every day for. That's so interesting because when you were sharing about what happened to you and then how you felt the support from therapists and, and other people, and I was thinking it's because they see you. And I was just seriously having that thought. I'm like, they see you, they validate you. And that's all we need. We just need somebody to be like, me too. I see you. I'm here for you. They don't have to say any magical things. They can just be like, I'm here and I see you. And then you just said that you have your podcast in your book. I'm like, that's it. <laughs> that's what it's all about. Yeah. That phrase is really special to me. There's a meadow cuff that I sell as well with it. The introduction of my book is all about a girl that gave me a, a cuff that said, I see you. She was one of those people, a young, bubbly, happy mom that in her twenties really started struggling with depression and that, yeah, that saw me and, and really changed my life. And now I, I go and I talk in, in workplaces. I talk all about this idea of what is ICU culture, talk to leaders, ICU leadership about how to make sure their employees feel seen, appreciated, and trusted, and that um, people are really innovative and they thrive and they actually help you make more money when you do that, which is always a bonus. So it started out as I see you, and then as I started getting more into speaking to faculties and administration and leaders, I really came to the conclusion that the three prongs of helping people feel connected to you, because human connection, that's, that's everything I'm about, this can absolutely apply to a family. People need to feel seen. They need to feel appreciated. And they need to feel trusted. And so those three mantras, I think, are really helpful for me to focus on when I focus on my relationship. Am I seeing this person? Am I present with them? I, when we meet, I touch you on the shoulder. I hug you. I look you in the eyes. I'm not distracted by my phone, I'm, which, is, which is absolutely a struggle that I struggle with daily still, even though I preach this, right? It's it's so important for me. And I think for all of us to remember 
that we are always learners in this and that none of us are incapable of, of being distracted and that's okay. But like Maya Angela says, when you know better, you do better. And so I know better. And so I'm trying to do better. I know the impact a single human soul can have on a life. And while my example uh, is literally life-saving, so maybe a little extreme for for some situations I talk to other people about at a work or things like that, it's all the same. It's all people work harder and they work better when they feel seen. So I see you. I appreciate you. There, there's so much research about how like managers that show gratitude to their people, their employees are 50% more productive. Like it's crazy. You can't make that up. Yeah. There's something about, and if you look at every, and I'm sure you know this with, with all the interviews you do in your own wealth of knowledge, every religion, philosophy, everything that successful thought leaders use, it seems like there's almost always a piece that is gratitude that they teach. Because it's something we can all agree on that this is magic. This is gold. It does something to our brains. It changes our relationships. It helps us be happy when things are hard, which is why I say gratitude begets momentum. It creates healing. And I have my own very, very uh, intense and, and meaningful example of that when I was actually in a hospital. And I had a really scary dark night with some medicine I was I was given by mistake that that really took me to a hard place. And I had to go check myself into a hospital. The thing that that made that I mean, after that night, even even getting to a good place and stuff like I couldn't talk about it. I threw away the clothes I'd been wearing like it was so incredibly traumatic. And there's one thing that has changed that I actually talk about that night sometimes now when I feel like it's applicable. And it's as soon as I started looking back on that night and framing it in gratitude. And I started saying, man, how grateful am I that someone was with me when those side effects took over? How grateful am I for that psychiatrist at the hospital that held my hand and looked me in the eyes and was like, sweetheart, this isn't you. This is, this is a medicinal error. That, that Benadryl exists, that they could pump my body full of it and flush it out. And that there were other things afterwards that I could do to feel like me again. And it changed, it, it changed, it turned this night that felt so dark and gloomy and hard to look at or talk about or wear the same clothes from. And it made it this, this miracle night of light. That's gratitude. That's the power of gratitude. And so you take that into relationships and the way you interact with people and it fills, it makes your, your relationship glow. And then the last mantra is I trust you. And I trust you to me comes so much back to that honesty builds trust. And in that honesty, there's an authenticity that I think is required to really have a trusting relationship. Brene Brown, she does a great job of explaining something called the anatomy of trust, where she talks about how, you know, if, if you're not willing to ask for help from me in your weakness, then how can I ever trust and, and ask you for help? And I, I have so many examples of this. I'm sure you do too, of times when I have asked for help from someone and then later they won't let me help them because they say they're worried they'll be a burden. And so there's this weird hypocrisy that can happen that can really hurt our trust with people. And I think authenticity is such an important piece of this whole idea. I'm willing to show up and share my stories where I don't always look good, where I don't always look uh, like I had it all together because none of us do. 
And in, in doing that, I give you silent permission to do the same with me. And there's this, this, this genuine trust there of it's okay here to not be perfect. And what happens in a work environment when people feel that they're more innovative, they're more willing to take chances, to try new things, to adjust, to change, to adapt. It changes everything. So those are kind of the three pillars that I, I would focus on in your relationships if you, that I try to focus on that I've seen really be successful in different cultures I speak to. Yeah. I think that's, it's absolutely necessary. I think that's how we need to be with all our relationships. I love how you bring it up in work too, because we don't think that it would be helpful in a work environment, but I think it's most helpful in a work environment, especially if you have a leader or a boss or a supervisor that can even say, I see you. I'm grateful you're here today. Or even just the littlest thing that we can say to people just to let them know and just to validate them. You never know what they're going through what they're dealing with and how hurt they are and just be that support for them. It changes everything. I needed it yesterday. I just made a little video yesterday that I put on social media about waking up and feeling like I'm in a funk and the social connection piece that changed everything. Right. It changed everything. What did I do? I called my sister and I started talking to her and all of a sudden I was like, do my hair and put on my makeup and we need people. And that's a new um, lemon to lemonade story that I'm in, you know, we're all, none of us are free from challenge. That's part of life. And it keeps happening, uh, doesn't it? <laughs> as, as a single mom who only has her kids half the time. And that's, that's really hard while it's, it's necessary in this situation. So learning to live alone, I'm seeing firsthand again, this, I see you play out of how it changes everything for me again. And it's like, I know all this, right? Maybe listeners, you can relate to this where it's like, you you know, maybe you speak about it, maybe you write about it, maybe you teach your kids about it, whatever it is. And then you forget for yourself though. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. We you're totally like, oh, do. Yeah, it's true. It really is true. I do this. <laughs> it's so silly. So we're always learning. We always have to be ready to be open to the next thing and be able to listen to ourselves too. Like we know stuff. And we can help other people. If it's okay with you, I'm going to share just one last story uh, about someone that's really special to me. But my sister, she's like my very best friend in the whole world. And I wish everyone was as lucky as me to have a sibling like that, that just sees you so authentically that you just know is your safe place to fall back on. Like I said, I have two kids. And when my daughter was just a couple of days old, no, she's two weeks old. My sister came to visit me for the first time and she was holding her in the rocker. And I still remember so distinctly when she said to me, you know, I found a lump in my breast and it's probably not cancer, but I didn't want to stress you out. You've been recovering from a C-section, but this is something I need to tell you. It is narrowed down to like three things that it could be right now. One of them is breast cancer. And her saying to me, Julie, it's, it's probably not cancer, right? I think at the time I was 26 and she was 31, really young. I said, Amy, of course it's not cancer. She said, yeah, you're right. She said, but what if it is? She said, when I went in to get my MRI, um, they did a pregnancy test just in case, and I'm pregnant. They had five kids, this is their sixth baby. And she said, I have all these little people watching me. And she took that responsibility incredibly seriously. She said, 
I've seen things like cancer make people soft and I've seen it make them hard. I have to let this make me soft and not hard if that's what it is. And I got a text message that night. And as you might imagine, because I'm telling the story, it was cancer. Long story short, she, uh, she had the baby miraculously okay. I mean, she had to do chemo with the baby in, in utero during the second trimester, double mastectomy, hysterectomy, radiation immediately after all the things. She's in remission for about nine months and then it came back in her liver and they gave her one to three years to live. And I took care of her until the end. I helped take care of her. I mean, she has the most incredible doting husband in the world who just was inspiring to watch um, help my sister die and her kids, of course. But I was grateful that I was able to be so close with her to happen to have moved right by her right before she got this diagnosis, um, which I know was on purpose. You know, she was on hospice. She was didn't know where she was. And I remember a couple things, and I'm sorry for going a little over time, but you all have to deal with it because this is important. <laughs> a couple things that really stand out to me is, first of all, I'd follow her anywhere because that's what followers will do for leaders. Leaders that see them, that have made them feel seen, will do anything for you. And that's what she was to me. She was when I had my first mental breakdown, I went and lived with her. She took care of me. When I couldn't have babies, she was, you know, she was the one I cried to. And, and she was the one that reassured me that I would be the most incredible mother ever that trusted me with her own children. And because she did that, I followed her to the end. And I would do anything for her. I remember showing up at her house and she was really confused at this point as she was getting closer and closer to passing. And I remember she said, uh, she's like, Julie, we're going to go in the backyard and we're, we're going to make bouquets. And I was like, what is she talking about? And she got a bucket and craft scissors. And we went to these like dead weeds. And she just is making me cut weeds and put them into these like buckets. Like they're not pretty, <laughs> but I did it. I was like, yeah, we are. That's absolutely what we're doing because I would do anything for that girl. Because when you see me, I'll follow you. The very last word she said to me, you can't make these things up. Um, I'd been on a shift with her. We took shifts there at the end through the night and then we'd take a day shift and things so her husband could work too and parent six kids, as you can imagine, who are losing their mom. And um, I'm sitting next to her on the couch in the front room and I have my head just kind of laying on her upper chest and she's kind of laying there, you know, with her mouth open, just kind of out of it. And I'm just kind of weeping some silent tears because I know we're getting close to the end. Even though I'd known for a couple of years and she and I had had a billion conversations of what it might be like and what's heaven like and the promises I'd made about helping with their kids. And you're just never prepared to lose your best friend. As I got up, I had to leave to go get my kids from school. And I just whispered in her ear, even though I wasn't sure that she would even hear me or understand, I just said, Hey, Amy, it's Julie. I got to go, sweetheart, but I'll be back really soon. We talked about this idea of being soft and hard. What she did actually first before she said anything, she grabbed my hand and she squoze it so hard. And she just said three words. And all she said, the last thing my sister said to me was, so, so grateful. <laughs> At the very end, she was. Even when she was 
at her very worst and we're about to celebrate her her birthday which she actually died on her 38th birthday which was special so in two weeks what is it her birthday is the 9th september 19th so in two weeks uh it'll have been a year we buried her and i never forget what she taught me about the decision to let your lemons like you talk about make you softer not harder we can all relate to having some pretty crappy stuff happen to us in life and we can choose to become hard towards people become jaded towards life i've been there i still have my moments but to intentionally shift when it's time when healing has occurred and say i'm gonna be softer to the people i interact with i'm gonna treat my employees better because of what i've been through and so i guess i just want to leave that 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 each of us have that option to be softer and not harder and i think that's where we will find the greatest meaning and purpose and confidence in in what we do as as leaders as parents as as fellow learners, like you say. So thank you for letting me share that. I don't know that I have ever been so emotional sharing that story. <laughs> so you're welcome to this podcast. I hope people could understand me. <laughs> no, you are a beautiful soul. And what an amazing example your sister is to all of us. I love that you shared that. Thank you so much. And I'm sorry that you had to lose your sister. That is so painful. And I just appreciate you sharing her gratitude. Like what a beautiful thing there she is. And of all the things she could say, I think that's amazing. She's just grateful. It's just, that's, that's powerful. Thank you for being that voice and being so open about what you're dealing with and how your struggles have brought you to where you are now. It's so inspiring. Thank you. Yeah. I'm happy to do it. It's, it's, it's felt like a really natural path. So I'm grateful for that. You're still here? Well, then enjoy this little outtake from that interview. I will often talk about her in my speeches when it's relevant. We talked about soft and hard leadership and two speeches in a row afterwards that, you know, I'm paid. And so I'm not expecting to get like a gift too, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. But both of these speaking gigs, I was given a gift at the end. And the first one, um, my niece happened to be with me. Her third came with me and was selling my books and stuff in the back, which was great. My sister's favorite dessert in the world was caramel apples. We'd always, like when we went to Disneyland, she would always have to get a caramel apple. And, and she made this these caramel apple nachos. And that was just her thing. And we did puzzles together. Because especially at the end, she's the one that taught me all puzzles. And at the end, when she didn't have a lot of energy, we could always do a puzzle, right? Yeah. The last two speaking gigs, the first one afterwards, they, as the gift, they gave me a caramel apple. You know, you're like, okay, that's interesting. And, and they are like, they had this extra second one that someone wanted to give me um, for my niece who was there, her daughter. Well, then the next one afterwards, once again, I get a check. Why am I, they give me a gift. And they said, I don't know why I was just at the store and I don't, this seems random, but I just thought you'd like it. It was a puzzle. Oh. A 500 piece one, luckily. Heidi, <laughs> we can't all do the 1500. I don't know what your listeners make of that, but I make something of it. It's a weird speaker gift, a puzzle. <laughs> they were right. It is a weird gift. And I think they were 
somehow paying attention to something much bigger than us and I'm grateful for that. So thanks for seeing me. Thanks for giving me this time to share things that are so special to me. Oh my goodness. Thanks for that. That's amazing. I love those little coincidences, those little kisses from heaven and little sparkles. I love that. That's, that's amazing that you can just feel her near and just know that how aware she is of, of your voice and you're sharing her story and you're helping others and uplift them. And I'm so grateful. So thank you. I have enjoyed spending this time with you. You might have a friend struggling with the same thing that we talked about in this episode that might enjoy listening to this too. So please share this episode because no one is alone at the lemonade stand.